little Bibles. Uh, Luke 6. We are in a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and we are talking about Jesus' vision for life and how Jesus' vision for flourishing in life is so different than the world's vision of flourishing in life. If you ever read the Bible, you're going you're to understand that what Jesus asks of you is oftentimes not just a little bit different, but almost upside down and inside out from what the world says. So we're asking this question together. What is the difference between living in God's kingdom and living in the world? You and I need to know that, and not just once, but continually, because we need to be reminded how Jesus asked us to live and what the world wants for us. Because little, little do you probably know, because we're living our lives, you are constantly being bombarded with contents on how the world wants you to live. Every TikTok reel, every ad on YouTube, every show you watch, whether great or not, you are being bombarded with the vision of this world and how to flourish in this world. So we need to recalibrate our hearts every so often back to the vision of Jesus. That's why reading the Bible is so important. In fact, just real quick, we had a, our first uh, How to Read the Bible workshop yesterday. Uh, beautiful, 25 folks in there. We spent a couple hours asking questions, thinking through what the Bible is and how to study it and go deeper into it. It was so beautiful. Um, and I encourage you, for those folks, they, they can tell you if you ask them. Um, it, is, it is such a treasure to be able to read the scriptures. It's a gift from us. It's hard to be a Christian in this world in general. It's very hard to be a Christian without reading God's word. And so we want to do that because he speaks to us. So the recap of just kind of last couple weeks, Pastor Alex did last week, and he did two and one for that. Uh, in Luke 6, Jesus is starting his Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. And he starts with two Beatitudes. Blessed are those who know they are spiritually empty. He uses the word poor and impoverished. And then blessed are those who are hungry, who seek after what God desires. You and I, when I look at this spiritually empty and hungry, I don't think, wow, amazing, blessed life. But Jesus wants us to see that those who are spiritually impoverished, those who are hungry and know where to go to get filled, uh, they are the ones that are blessed. So there's another one that Jesus wants us to interact with today. Luke 6, verse 20. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm reading in the the especially sanctified version, ESV. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, wow, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And Jesus spins it on his head and says in verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What a crazy contrasting vision of a flourishing life. We're going to land on verse 25 and 21. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. 
What is Jesus saying? How is it blessed to cry and to grieve? That's the question I want to ask today. Why is it good news that we mourn? Why is it, I I believe from the text that we'll get to, why is it good news that you and I mourn? Why is it a sign of the gospel breaking into our lives when we mourn? If you're any, anything like me, you probably realize that mourning in this culture is often seen as a negative emotion or a weak emotion. People have all kinds of opinions on it, but just putting up here some things that we've been taught, whether in childhood or, or through school or philosophy or religion or pastors, mourning is seen as a negative emotion. We are taught, some of us, I've heard people say this in their family of origin, just how they got brought up, they were taught not to cry. They were told, don't cry, just push through it. Don't grieve. We're told it's a sign of a weak faith. How can you cry? Don't you you have faith in God? And I've seen people ridicule and condemn other people for their tears because they saw it as a lack of faith. And lastly, we're told in the Christian circles, we're reminded, shouldn't Christians always be joyful? Shouldn't you always be smiling, always be happy? Come on, you have Jesus. There's no space for grief. If you're really following Jesus, you're gonna be joyful at all times. And so if I'm looking at this, which is our reality that we live in, and then Jesus' words, he says we're blessed when we're mourned, then I'm asking the question, is, it, is this contrary or is there something deeper at work? Is Jesus kind of off his rocker or are we missing what Jesus wants us to see when he says, blessed, flourishing, happy are the people who mourn. Before we think about what that looks like, I just want to center our gaze at looking at God. Because when I look at that verse, blessed are those who mourn, I don't know where to start. To be honest, when I was studying this passage, before I went to commentaries and stuff, looking at that verse, I was just like, man, that can mean a lot of things, right? Blessed are you who mourn. Mourn over what? That's the question I'm asking. Okay, I get that you say mourning is a blessed act, but what are we mourning over? You can mourn over a lot of things. People mourn over the Warriors losing. People mourn over the Seahawks. Sorry, oh, they, they suck. People mourn, I'm joking. <laughs> People mourn over spilled coffee. People mourn over their, their, their company not making enough money. People mourn over a lot of things. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, blessed are those who mourn? So let's look at God. Because as we look at God, I believe we're gonna get a really clear picture of what we're supposed to mourn after. I'm going to show you how the father mourns, the spirit mourns, and the son mourns. Genesis 6, start there. This is right after God had made the world. People were uh, spreading out. But look at what Genesis 6 says. The Lord saw, he's looking on the earth, and he saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Stop, that's bad. God looks on the earth and says everyone is wiling out, everyone is is being rebellious, and every thought of their heart is only to do evil. And what is God's response to seeing people live this kind of way? Verse six, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Other translations say his heart's was broken. 
Let me ask you a question. Does your theology have a place for a weeping God? A God who looks at creation and though he's sovereign and perfect, when he looks at it, he says, man, my heart is broken over what I see. Broken over what I see. God regretted that he made man. How, how can that work with God's sovereignty? I don't know. There's some freedom we had to choose. We chose the wrong stuff, and God is broken over. It grieved him to his heart. Ephesians 4, 30, Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. What I find so fascinating is that we have the ability, the, the Holy Spirit of God, the, the third person in the Trinity, we have the ability to grieve the Spirit of God who is in you. You can cause the Holy Spirit of God to mourn and grieve. How? Look at what he says. With your bitterness, with how you treat people, with our harsh words. You can grieve the Holy Spirit with your harsh words, with the, your gossip with all types of evil behavior. You can grieve the spirit in you. So the father grieves over the evil of humanity, sinfulness. The spirit grieves over our wickedness and how we treat people. And then Luke 19, this is the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is coming back into Jerusalem. But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, look what he did. He didn't say, man, you guys didn't get it. I'm so mad at you. You should have been better. I came, I, I, I gave you bread, I gave you love, and you didn't, I'm done with you. No, 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 Jesus goes into a place that rejected him, and he begins to weep. Jesus begins to weep, saying, if only you had known on this day of salvation, even you, the things which make for peace but now they have been hidden from your eyes. If only you would have known that I came to save you and rescue you, but you ignored me, you overlooked me. And Jesus' initial gut reaction isn't just anger, it's grief. You missed it. You ever felt that with your kids? They were doing something and you saw them just go off and you're like, my heart breaks. You missed it. You see that with your friends, your family members you love and, and they're supposed to go down a path and they don't. Or they have an opportunity and they don't take it. And your heart grieves because they missed it. In Jerusalem, the people of God that Jesus came to save first, they missed Jesus and he weeps. One more story of Jesus I find fascinating. Verse 11, uh, 33 of John 11, you know the story of Lazarus and Mary. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, Mary and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, catch this, it's so important, he was deeply moved in his spirit. He saw people weeping over uh, their friend that was passed away, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, wow, see how much he loved him. What I find so fascinating about this is not that Jesus wept. It's that Jesus wept knowing that he was going to resurrect Lazarus in a couple minutes. What kind of heart and mercy and compassion does the heart of Jesus have to know that he's going to make things right, but he's still broken over the pain that has been caused? Wow. Do you have a Jesus, a view of Jesus that is so tender and compassionate that he looks on people that are weeping and he could have easily been said, come on, stop crying. I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm gonna do this. Stop your tears. No, they weren't unnecessary. In fact, they moved Jesus to cry even though he was moving to resurrect him. 
The heart of Jesus is way more tender and compassionate than you and I realize. We have a God who grieves. We have a God who weeps. We have a God who mourns. You might see that as weak. I see that as good news. Because I grieve and I weep and I mourn. And I know that you grieve and weep and mourn. And we don't serve a God who's aloof and cold-hearted and distant to the reality of our pain and brokenness. He's close. In fact, the Bible says he is the closest to the brokenhearted. He's not closest to the strongest. He's closest to the brokenhearted. What a God. What a Savior that his heart would be so moved to be close to people. And this, I just want to say this side note is so important to understand as you, I know in our church, people have, for many different ways, um, they have experienced suffering and loss and pain, trauma and heartache. And this is so encouraging to know that because God grieves, he also grieves with you for your loss. You need to know that. That's just a reality you need to bank your existence on, that God is not looking at you saying, when are we gonna get over this pain? He is grieving with you. He is grieving with you. And so why does God grief. Why is God weeping? Because he looks at the world and he sees that this is not right. He looks at the world he made and he says, this is not the way it was supposed to be. God had a good order and a good intention for creation and we chose something different. And so God looks at it and says, I wish it was something different, but it's not. People chose against me. And so he's brokenhearted over the brokenness of the world. He grieves over the brokenness he sees. He grieves over what sin has done. Sin has, um, it has corrupted his people and his creation. And God's not looking just with a fierceness of wrath, but with a, a movement of his, of his gut and his heart and his compassion saying, I weep over what is so off. He weeps over humanity turning away. Do you have a vision of God that excuse me, grieves over the brokenness that he sees. God is so big that he can be angry at sin and still grieve over the effects of sin. You might not, that, you might not be that dynamic in your emotions. I'm not always. I can't have righteous anger and usually a grief. They're kind of intermingled sometimes with bad um, motives. But God is holy. He has good motives. He is righteously angered at the sin that is tearing apart his creation. At the same time, he grieves over it. He grieves over it. And so what is Jesus saying Blessed are those who mourn. What is Jesus saying? He's saying this. Blessed are you when you find yourself broken over what breaks God's heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you, flourishing, happy, in sync with God are you who find yourself broken and mourning over what breaks God's heart. God's heart is broken over the, the, the disaster of this world. Does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? Does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? God's heart breaks. Is your heart broken? The same things that causes God to grieve. Why should we mourn? Our mourning 
is the same as God. It's rooted in this tragic gap we see between our reality here in our lived experience and God's reality of what could and should be. We know God's reality is a, is a humanity that gets along, that loves each other. There's no hatred. There is service and humility and gentleness. But our reality is one of division and racism and hatred and all these things are corrupt. And so we have this gap that lays in the middle of our reality and God's reality. And we mourn the gap. We mourn the brokenness like God mourns. We weep and grieve because we know that the things are not right in us and things are not right in the world. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who mourn, for you find yourself broken over what breaks God's heart. Three different areas that I want to just walk through with us, what it looks like to mourn this. Because mourn is not some passive thing. It's an active thing that it takes our body and our mind and our heart to engage with. We, broke, we mourn the brokenness around us. I'm starting from outside moving in on purpose. But there's, a, there's a gravity to the last one. There's gravity to all of these. We mourn, we mourn the brokenness around us. We mourn the brokenness upon us, the weight of sin upon us. And then lastly, we mourn the brokenness within us. It's not just enough to look outside and say, well, I'm mourning over the brokenness of my sister or my aunt who's getting it wrong. It's not just enough to say I'm mourning over the weight of sin and suffering. We also have to mourn the brokenness that we know is so present in our own hearts. Blessed are you who mourn, who can see reality as it is, that everything is broken from God's good design. So number one, mourning the brokenness around us. We mourn the, the spread of sin that has spiraled out into disorder into the world. I want you to see this is a healthy thing to do. This means when you mourn this way, this means your heart is in sync with God's kingdom. And those who don't mourn, don't mourn these things, it means they probably haven't been gripped by the gospel. The heart that has been gripped by God mourns these things. When we look around, I don't know about you, but I, I mourn the wickedness and injustice I see in the world. I mean, we're coming on over a year of the, the Russia invasion of Ukraine and all the deaths Unnecessary. I mourn the brokenness around us that's not even caused by humanity. Think about the, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and how many over 50,000 lives were lost. Can you just comprehend 50,000? That's twice as big as the city that I grew up in. Lost. Brokenness of all of the creation, brokenness of society. I mourn the hopelessness and despair, the fact that suicide rates are almost doubled in teenagers. Does that cause you to mourn? Are you just kind of like moving on to your agenda or do you stop and see that this breaks God's heart and it should break our heart as well? We mourn the selfishness and blindness. I mourn the fact that people just don't see it. I don't feel prideful about it. I just look at people and they just don't see it. They're missing it. They're living for their own life. They're chasing down a, a, down a tunnel that is not going to lead to health but to disaster. And they're blind. And I mourn that. My own family members, my friends, coworkers I've had in the past. I mourn the hatred and racism that I know that people made in God's image because they look different or treated a different way. How 
horrible that is. How horrible that is to grow up, be treated a different way as lesser because of the color of your skin. That is an effect of sin that should cause us to weep. That should cause us to mourn. That is not God's good design. Do you mourn and grieve over the brokenness around you? Look at what Psalm 119 says, the author says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. I find that very convicting. We cry about a lot of things. Have you ever cried about the fact that people just aren't following God and are lost? When's the last time you grieved over the brokenness of this world? Let me say this. I know when I'm grieving over the things that God grieves, it's when I have slowed down to actually get a, a vision of God's heart. And I'm close to God's heart. The moments where I have no capacity to grieve over the brokenness I see and I become numb to it is probably when I'm filled with my agenda. I'm too busy and I haven't stopped to sync up with God's heart. God's heart breaks for this. Our heart should break as well. Number two, mourning the brokenness upon us. Not only mourning the world around us, we mourn the sin upon us. We mourn the, the pain and lack of health. People have experienced loss and trauma and pain in their bodies, in this church, in your family. And are you mourning that? You, I know you and I, we grieve over the pain that sin has caused our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our emotions are bungled up and are twisted and they're distorted. And we mourn over the fact that sin has caused so much burden. We mourn over the emotional trauma that's been caused to us. There's people in the church I know, they are struggling with mental health and different things of, of security and confidence, not because they messed up, but because someone did something to them or someone didn't love them like they were supposed to be loved. And you are mourning the fact that there's been emotional trauma in your life. A father didn't love you the way they were supposed to. A mother didn't speak to you the way she was supposed to. A pastor abused his privileges and his authority. And you are mourning the emotional trauma. I want to say that that's okay. It's okay to mourn the things that break God's heart. We mourn the loss of dreams. I'm not talking about like, man, I wish I could make a million dollars by making only 500,000 We're mourning. Like, that's okay. That's whatever. But that's not what we're talking about. The loss of dreams of the dreams that flourish and advance God's kingdom or things for your personal family and life, your kids, your marriage. I mean, mourn the hardships that come upon us. Look, I am very aware this is not a bubbling, joyful message. But sometimes we have to just slow down to realize and to accept the hardness of life, to not move past it, to not justify it, to not excuse it, not try to even explain it. It's just broken. Let's just sit with that. It's okay. It's okay. And there needs to be spaces in, in the Christian church, in the Christian faith, to say it's healthy to mourn what sin has caused around us and upon us. I think about what, John, what Jesus says in John 16. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And what does he say? In the world you will have many trials and sorrows. In the world, you will have many trials and sorrows. You okay, friend? Any, in the world, 
Anyone feel like they have trials and sorrows? You can raise your hand. Anyone, come on, raise your hand. You're in church. God sees you. Trials and sorrows. I feel like I've had trials and sorrows. And it's okay. Your trials and sorrows might be like, you feel like it's small compared to someone else. God's not comparing your trial with someone else's trial. If it's heavy for you, it's heavy. It's heavy for you. It's hard for you. And that's okay. And God sees it. God sees it. He knows it's going to be difficult. God promises that. Jesus says, you're going to have, I want to leave you my peace. But in this world, you will have many trials and sorrow. Many trials and sorrow. And lastly, mourning the brokenness within us. It's great to think outwardly, this world is broken. It's great to, yeah, I know it's hard in life and life gets heavy. But one of the things that we miss and we distort is that we're also called to mourn the presence of sin within us and not make excuses for it. But to be honest, we mourn our capacity to do evil things. We mourn our hard and cold hearts. There, I feel it. There's people in our staff as we talk through you as, as, as people in our church. And we know some people are doing awesome and loving the Lord. Some people are really struggling. And some people are just cold-hearted and not caring. It, it has put literally a weight and burden on our hearts. We grieve. People have shed tears around our staff table for the coldness that we see. Do you grieve over the coldness of your own heart? Do you mourn or grieve over your lack of faith or love? Does it bother you? Does it bother you that you don't always follow Jesus the way you know you're supposed to? I'm not talking about condemnation and feeling like you're worthless. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about healthy mourning for things that should be different. You mourn your own sin. You mourn your immorality and your idolatry. I mourn the fact that I can so easily in one moment worship Jesus and the next moment do something that Jesus abhors. How is that possible? I don't know, but I mourn that in my heart, that I have that capacity and willingness to disobey the Lord who has saved me. Does that bother you? Has the sin in your life ever bothered you? I'm not saying condemned you. Has it bothered you in a righteous way? Look at what Isaiah says. He had just had a vision of God on the throne. And look at his response. And I said, woe is me. He had just seen God, his holiness and glory filling the temple and seraphim and angels covering their eyes and feet because God is so holy. And he says, woe is me. I'm lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Why does Isaiah say, woe is me, I'm lost, unclean? Because he has seen a vision of God. If you're struggling today to really see what's wrong with your heart, it's because you haven't had a clear vision of God's holiness. Because the brighter the light goes, the more dirt you see. And the more you get closer to God's vision of who he is, his perfection and righteousness, the more he will, his presence will gently but surely shed light on all of the uncleansed parts of our hearts. That's why when Isaiah just, God doesn't say, Isaiah, you're dirty. No, no, God just shows up in who he is. And Isaiah's natural response is, woe is me. 
You remember that story? Peter is on the boat. Jesus is there. The beginning of Peter's, uh, end of uh, Jesus' ministry in the beginning. And Peter is fishing. And Jesus says, go do this. And he fishes. And, and Jesus catches the fish. And, and Peter is amazed. And he looks at Jesus. And he falls down. And he says this, depart from me, Jesus, for I am an unclean man. What happened there? Jesus just told Peter to catch fish and Peter caught fish. No, what happened was Peter had a glimpse of who Jesus was and in that reality, he saw his reality. That's why we talk about God being holy. That's so abstract until you realize that his holiness is in juxtaposition to our unholiness. And it's a problem that Jesus has solved said it this way, we can finally begin to see ourselves clearly when we begin to see God clearly. In his light, we see our darkness. In his goodness, we see our corruption. In his glory, we see our frailty. And those who have a vision of God's holiness mourn over their sinfulness. When's the last time you've mourned over your sinfulness? It's not just blessed are those who mourn. That's the only verse in the Bible. There's way more than I could spend time reading in an hour in the Psalms and the New Testament talks about mourning over the brokenness within. There is a place in your Christian walk with Jesus and discipleship to stop and mourn over your depravity. Do you grieve over the state of the world when you look upon it and read the news? Or you just judge the world? Or are you cold to the world? Do you mourn the burdens of life and how hard it gets? Do you weep over the sinfulness that you often find creeping out of your heart every day? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Why is this a blessed thing to do? How can this be a blessed action? Mourning over sin and its effects. Show us that we are in sync with Jesus and his kingdom. And those in sync with Jesus will receive what Jesus has promised in the future. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn now, for they shall laugh later. It doesn't mean that your life has to be characterized by sorrow. But I think, can I just be honest, there is a, there is a, a part of the Christian life that is just as you operate in this life, the closer you get to God, the more your heart breaks. And the more you will feel sorrow. And that's not a bad thing. That means the more you're in touch with the heart of God and the kingdom of Jesus. On this, in this life, is there joy in Jesus? Someone answered that. Yes, there is certainly joy in Jesus. And there are also a lot of moments, unfortunately, more than not, where we feel sorrow. And it's okay. If I had to put a, a tagline, like a, a word over this age, this present age before eternity, it's probably sorrow and grief. Oh, there's such good reasons to rejoice, but a lot of the reasons for rejoicing comes in the future. The action that has happened now in Jesus will be rewarded in the future. So the good news of mourning means that if you really mourn over the brokenness around you and within you, you are probably in sync with the kingdom of God. You are part of his kingdom. So different than the world who laughs all the time. That's why Jesus says, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. He's not saying it's bad to laugh. He's saying it's bad to have a life characterized by laughing and glib triviality and never reaching the bottom of your heart where you say, I am broken over the world. 
People just playing video games, drinking, enjoying life, partying, and never getting to the point. Oh, they might mourn some loss, but they're never mourning the things that breaks God's heart. And he says to them, woe to you. Those who laugh now in this life have not been gripped by God's vision of reality. They are not bothered by what bothers God. They are living for this world and nothing else and have already received their comfort. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, woe to you who laugh. Of course, we're called to laugh and to rejoice, but never at the expense of us having a heart that breaks over what breaks God's heart. Both can happen at the same time. You can have joy and have sorrow over what breaks God's heart. And here's a hard truth, loved ones, you just need to hear. You will either mourn over your sin now or later. You will either weep on earth or you will weep in hell. And that's not a comfortable thing to say, but it is a thing that Jesus says, and so it has to be said. If you want to make it simplistic, if you want to follow the words of Jesus in the Bible, there were people that will weep now so that they laugh later. Their characterization of their life now is one of sorrow with hints of joy that will move to one of joy with no presence of sorrow. Or there will be people that have characterization of fun and laughter and triviality and excess, but they will weep forever because they did not sync up with the, the gospel or the kingdom of Jesus. You will either mourn over your sin now or you will mourn over it later. My encouragement to you who are listening or in this room or online who have yet to believe in Jesus and follow him and surrender your life to him, I encourage you to, to figure out how to surrender and cry out to God to get a heart that believes like God's heart and mourn now before it is too late. It's a reason why Jesus spoke about hell so often, because it's a reality. And these passages are showing us, woe to you. What do you think Jesus is talking about and thinking about besides the reality of judgment and hell? Woe to you is a judgment. And we want to sober up to realize that there is joy, but for those who don't sync up with God's heart, who aren't in sync with the kingdom and Jesus, uh, there will be a, a different kind of future for those people. Jesus says for us, Luke 6, 21, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. You shall laugh. What that verb means is that God's gonna be the one that causes you to laugh. You're not gonna laugh on your own accord because of things that you've done. Blessed are you who weep now for God is going to cause you to smile. God is going to cause you to rejoice. God is going to cause you to laugh. I hope you know this, that Jesus was a man of sorrows on this earth so that we can become joyful citizens of heaven. One of the titles in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he calls Jesus the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. One of his titles, man of sorrows. Jesus, the son of God, second person in the Trinity, fully God, who only knows perfection, became the man of sorrows so that we can become joyful citizens of heaven. You need to know this, that your reward, Christian, isn't gonna be fully experienced here in this life. Your reality of Jesus is not gonna be fully experienced here in this life. So if you feel like you don't feel God's presence fully, feel God's love fully, feel God's joy fully, that's on purpose. You're not in heaven yet. 
Jesus says, one day you will have full joy. It's coming. We live in a broken world. I have done what is needed, and I will come back to rescue and renew everything. And at that time, there will be fullness of joy for those who have trusted him and fullness of weeping for those who have disregarded him. That's what happens when you interact with the holy God. And we, thankfully, if you are in Jesus, have a future secured of joy unending. Jesus is the reason you and I will smile for eternity. Come on. You might have tears now continually in this broken world, but you are going to have reason to smile for eternity. You know how that helps me now? How does that help me, Chris, now? Because I can endure loss now when I know I'm going to have reward in heaven. I can endure suffering now when I know something better is coming. It's going to be really hard for you to endure any sorrow now if you don't think there will be joy in the future. It will crush you. The Bible says we're perplexed, but we're not crushed. Why are we not crushed? Why is this trauma and affliction and suffering a light momentary affliction? Because Paul says it's compared to the glory that's going to come. And when you compare the beauty of everlasting joy in heaven with 80 years of some suffering, it's okay. You can endure. That's the perspective of the Bible. That's why the Bible keeps saying, hold on. Keep going. There will be a finish line to this life. And if you cross it with faithfulness because of Jesus, he will hold you fast. You will walk into an eternity of joy. He is coming back to cure all of the causes of our grief. We will be with him in a new and perfect world. Look at Jude 24. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. Just like what the song sung this morning, he will hold me fast. God is able to keep you from falling away. Good news. And he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Oh my gosh. If you talk about good news, this is good news. Let's read it all on three. One, two, three. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Y'all have faults. I have faults. And God is going to, because of Jesus, bring us into his presence with great joy without a single blemish on us. Yes, hallelujah is the right response. What else? What other good news is that? You want more money? Can't take it with you in heaven. More women, more men, more experiences, more sex, more lust, more, more applause, more likes, more TikTok, more entertainment. That stuff falls at the grave. The only thing that lasts is your soul with Jesus. And Jesus is going to keep those who are with him and bring them into his presence. Family, he's bringing you into his presence. He's coming back to get you so you can be in his presence and experience nothing but joy. I don't even understand how good that's going to be. You don't understand how good that's going to be. I, I can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend it, but I believe it. And it keeps me going during the hard times. That's why the end of Revelation, end of history, it says, he, God, will wipe away every tear. Wow. Blessed are those who mourn now, for they will laugh. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. Blessed are those who mourn now, for one day there's not going to be any mourning in heaven. 
nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can I just look at me in the eyes? If you're online, look at the TV, look at me in the eyes, church. This is your reality in Jesus. This is not figurative language. language. This is not some kind of poetic metaphor. This is a substance you can build your life on. You can anchor your hope in. Let me ask you a question. Does this matter to you? Is this the thing that's in your gaze? Do you think about this? This is not supposed to be a theology for the end times tucked away, talked about once a year. This is what gets me up in the morning and keeps me going when life gets really crappy. What keeps you going? Because nothing in this world will be the fuel that will keep you going through the things of this life. Your health will deteriorate. People will fail you. Money will fade. This no one can take away. No one can take this away. Blessed are those who mourn now, for they shall rejoice. They shall be comforted. They shall laugh. There's two responses to this that I see. So I want to walk you through just how to respond to the Lord. Number one, that you would slow down in this moment to mourn over sin and evil. Maybe you're in here and you haven't slowed down enough to have your heart take in the grief of stuff around you and the wickedness that we find in our hearts. And I want you to be blessed. I want you to laugh later. So I want to read what the Bible says and believe it, that blessed are those who mourn now and we will slow down to learn how to mourn, to sink our hearts with God's heart. Maybe you have to slow down to rejoice in Christ in heaven. Maybe when you look at this, go back to Revelation, Rue. Maybe when you look at this, I just feel it. And, and this is why I'm energetic and passionate. It's not because I'm trying to get you to believe something. It's because this is amazing. <laughs> that's, like, that's amazing. I, there's a part of me right now that's just wondering why people aren't jumping up and down. And I don't know what you're going through. But you need to get to the point where this becomes so real in your vision that this becomes reality more than the food on your plate. You will not make it through this life without this being reality. Why did Jesus always say, your reward is in heaven? Because he needed you to know you can go through some suffering now. Loved one, 80 years is a long time, but not compared to 4.2 billion. Eternity is a lot longer. Eternity is a lot longer. And while the joy in heaven is real, I'm not discrediting the grief you feel now. The joy in heaven doesn't discredit the grief. It just helps you get through the grief and process it well. And I want you to grieve wholeheartedly and mourn the things that break God's heart. But at the same time, to not sit there, you need to realize you have a hope in the future. It doesn't just stay there as a theology. It grips your heart now. And so maybe some of us, as we worship and we're going to pray and interact right now, you would just, before God, God, help me to make this real. Some of us, our hearts are cold, and we need to ask God, God, make this real in my life. I want to believe it. I want to live like that's true. You live like things are true every day. Can we live like this is true? If this is true in our life, trust me, you will be living different than anyone around you. You might not succeed in, in, the, in the terms of this world. That's okay. You don't have to. You can catch some L's now because you're going to have an eternal W in heaven. 
Some of us are afraid of catching, afraid of catching some L's now. You're afraid of catching L's now because you don't have an eternal perspective and you're shooting too low. And Jesus often says, he says what? Pray in your closet. Don't pray in front of people because you will get their applause. What happens when you get their applause? You've already received your reward. Some of us have settled for earthly rewards. And I beg you, church, don't settle for what the earth can give you. It might be good in a moment, but it will fade away and you will grieve again. But this reward tucked away in heaven, imperishable that no one can take away, lasts forever and no one can steal it. So here's what I want you to do as we turn to think about the, the, the purchase of Jesus in heaven or maybe the mourning that we have to process through. I want you to do this. This says it on the screen, but I want you to change a little bit of it um, for our formation time. I want you to share with one or two people, get in a group and share what area you are currently mourning over. So you can either do two things. Either share what area you are mourning over. It might be something deep within you. Like, man, I'm, just, I'm mourning the sin of my heart right now. Or I'm mourning the, the burden of loss and trauma. Or I'm mourning and the stuff I see around me. Whatever it is, just be, be clear and concise. You don't have to give people a, a paragraph explanation. Be clear. So either share that or you can share, man, I just, I don't have that hope that Chris is talking about, that Revelation is talking about. Either way, I want you to do this. I want you to pray over one another the promise, hope, and joy of Christ. However we're feeling, we need to pray that God would make that a reality, the reality in our lives that we would live oriented around the joy that's coming in Jesus. Can you do that? Let's confess where we're struggling and mourning and let's pray over. If you're a cold heart right now, you're like, I just don't feel like that's real. Just confess that and let's put hands on one another and pray in faith that the Lord would give us joy. Let's do that next five minutes and then we'll come back and worship the Lord together.